When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is episode 28 of the podcast. I'm Chris Peters. So glad you could join me for this week's episode. And it is uh, Thanksgiving week in the United States. Uh, It is personally one of my favorite holidays there is. And if you're listening to this as you travel to or from your Thanksgiving, I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. If you are listening from Canada or elsewhere, happy uh, week. Hope you guys are enjoying your week. But Anyway, a lot to get to today. We're going to focus mostly on, uh, I got a lot of questions from listeners, but clearly the the news of the week, at least if you've been following my work, has been what is going on with the USHL's Omaha Lancers. And uh, I'll give you a brief recap, kind of, of what's going on. There is a lot more on dailyfaceoff.com where all of my reporting on this has been um, published. Uh, I have uh, multiple stories up, I believe three in total, that you can uh, read and and get a much more comprehensive look at the situation. But I wanted to summarize and give you a few thoughts as well on this entire thing. And and you know, first off, it, it's been something I've been reporting on for over a week now. Um, you know, I initially actually caught wind of things were starting to go sour within the organization about two weeks ago. Um, as the, you know, kind of rumors started swirling around USHL sources. And of course, in my work covering uh, prospects, I end up having a lot of contacts in the agent world, in the scouting world, in the the junior hockey world. So, you know, it it doesn't take long for things um, to get to me uh, in some way or another. So I caught wind that the, the Omaha Lancers were potentially making a coaching move um, uh, Chad Cassidy, who was the head coach uh, of the Omaha Lancers, uh, had arrived this summer, was only on the job for about four months, and um, is now not the coach. And there was a lot of uh, controversy over that decision. Um, you know, to to put it like just a little bit of a nut graph here. You know, the players essentially threatened to boycott, and um, there was a lot more to it than that. But the USHL has since stepped in. They have, um, you know, issued a or have have executed a third party investigation 
into the into the operations of the team and the reason that they are doing that is because there have been allegations against the team's ownership and its team president Dave DeLuca um, uh, DeLuca has been placed on administrative leave by the USHL uh, Josh Mervis who we'll get to in a minute um, has been uh, taken over the team he's a minority partner of the team and is in involved in that way now uh, and essentially uh, what what is what has happened is is you know Cassidy was told uh, you know he, he was never formally it's not believe he was formally fired uh, he never stepped down but the team has you know essentially told everybody that'll listen um, through a press release and an email to their billet parents and I'm, I'm also told um, in a meeting with the players that Cassidy had stepped down um, by all accounts that is not true um, Cassidy did not step down did not resign in, in the interest of, of full transparency and disclosure I worked with Chad Cassidy at the national team development program for two seasons I, I like Chad I, I know him um, I you know he has not been a source on any of this even though um, I, I, I have known him for a long time. Um, I've been trying to compartmentalize all of that, uh, you know, as I report the story, to be fair to all parties involved, um, and, you know, just following the facts where they lead. So, essentially, the issues that that led to the coaching change, and, and again, you can read a lot more of this on dailyfaceoff.com. There is a, a piece that was published on Tuesday, or on, sorry, on Monday, um, that details, um, the timeline and also some of the the complaints, but essentially there had been a lot of butting of heads between the coaching staff and and the ownership group, primarily with the president Dave DeLuca, who I mentioned is placed in administrative leave. Um, uh, DeLuca is a longtime friend of the owner Coots De Caesar, who uh, has kind of taken control of the team. And there was a lot of corner cutting and a lot of different things that. There were concerns, and um, the coaching staff lost things like their their video. There was a problems with the stick budget, where players were having to buy their own sticks, which you can't do in the USHL or not supposed to do in the USHL. Um, you know, there were there were other issues. That, there was a feeling that, that meals on the road were inadequate. Um, there's also a, a, a particularly concerning incident where um, a a bus company was was brought in uh, by the team, and there was uh, essentially. Uh, coming back from the fall classic, which all teams are required to go to uh, by the USHL, when they were coming back to Omaha, the the bus driver was was essentially had to drive 14 hours, which is well above the uh, limit of time that that a driver is supposed to go consecutively, um, because the team did not want to pay for a hotel and did not have a replacement driver. Uh, arranged, which is typically how those long bus trips go. If you're going to go a certain distance, uh, bus drivers have time limits on how long they can go. Um, so those are those are just that's just a small sampling. Then the other issue is you know Chad Cassidy comes in. He he doesn't believe that he's he's uh, he has a meeting with Dave DeLuca. Uh, at one point he's told not to come back. He leaves. DeLuca inserts Sean Walsh, the assistant coach, as the interim head coach. Um, and the, the team was due to play games, uh, a home-and-home home series with Sioux Falls Stampede. The the president is notified that they need two coaches on the bench. I mean, there are rules in the USHL where you have to have certain standards where, you know, one is having two full-time coaches on the bench. Um, they actually ended up, because they couldn't find a replacement in time, they asked Cassidy to come back and coach, which he agreed to do. Um, and the Lancers swept the Sioux Falls Stampede over that weekend 
And then Cassidy returned on Tuesday and was told um, to leave once again. Uh, he did not, uh, you know, he did not understand exactly, you know, what his status was going to be. I believe that that you know this is from other sources, but you know, believe that he was um, fired. The team announced that he had stepped down. They had told the billets. They had told the players. Um, and when the players realized that they had been lied to, essentially, and that, you know, there was a, a situation that was still brewing and that there was going to be a replacement coach brought in, uh, the players opted to boycott um, or threaten to boycott games. The USHL then stepped in and, um, you know, basically postponed the three games that they were supposed to play last weekend. They, um, the, the league, you know, basically got on the ground, they 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 triggered the the investigation as things moved on. Um, you know the the team, as I mentioned, put Josh Mervis in control. Um, he is a minority partner. Uh, the league has described him as a non-active minority partner, which a lot of sources that I have around junior hockey have disputed because of uh, Mervis being a member of the actually the chairman of the competition committee, which is one of the USHL's most important committees that helps. Um, you know, enforce rules and, and well, make rules, change rules, and things like that. So it's a pretty significant activity. Um, on top of that, Mervis has been involved in other USHL franchises before, including the Danville Wings and the Muskegon Lumberjacks. Um, and um, there has also been concern because when he was the head, was was the owner of Danville, uh, owner slash GM, um, owned it with his father. Uh, Chico Adratus, who you may know that name from Katie Strings, brilliant reporting, um, you know, an alleged sexual predator who is currently the subject of a federal lawsuit where he is a co-defendant with USA Hockey, the Amateur Hockey Association of Illinois, and the University of Minnesota. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, just the ties to that person, it, it raises some alarm bells. I know that it, it definitely drew the concern of, of investigators who have reviewed that. We as I record this, we don't know the status of, of, of what they're going to do, if anything, about that. Um, if there is anything to do, it should be noted that Mervis has never been implicated in any wrongdoing. Um, it, it is, it, you know, and it's not guilt by an association. It's just simply, you know, the USHL appointed a person, um, you know, with these known ties to someone who, you know, has, has essentially um, many players have come forward and said that they were sexually assaulted by this individual um, who is now banned for life by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Meanwhile, the investigation is being executed by a you know coordinator for a USA Hockey coordinator for the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. So it's it's essentially you know it's all of these things kind of tied together. Um, but you know there's a lot more reporting there. So you know I do you know this is a very crude summary and a very uh, uh, you know incomplete summary and timeline, but I, I do hope that you'll go read uh, at Daily Faceoff where I've done quite a bit of reporting and and a lot of, you know, it's been talking to a lot of sources around hockey, um, you know, within the USHL, talking to, to, to all sorts of different people. Um, and really at the center of this, and the reason that I, I don't enjoy doing this, this is not something that I really uh, do normally. It's, you know, it's something that I felt was necessary based on everything that I had heard. Um, I felt that the players, uh, especially when it came to things like player safety, um, making sure that the players aren't being taken advantage of, you know, when you make a commitment to play tier one hockey, 
Um, you're kind of entering in an agreement with the team that you're going to perform to the best of your ability. It's going to allow that team to sell tickets and and you know promote you and all those other things. And then and then if you go and get drafted, then they can say, hey, look at this guy was part you know he developed here. Um, and then basically their the, the the transaction is that you don't pay for anything that you're not supposed to, um, and that you are going to be treated. Uh, very well, that you're going to have an experience that is befitting a player the, uh, of that caliber. Um, and then also that they're going to have the tools necessary to develop these junior hockey teams, take these players' futures into their hands, and then are basically have to, to find a way to make it all uh, to, to do what they can for this player. Now, not all players are going to make it, and that's just the way that it goes, but you know, you do have a responsibility to do everything within your power to allow that player to be the best that they can be. There's also a, a, a significant power imbalance here because all of these players need junior hockey to move forward in their career. They need it to get the college scholarships. They need it to get drafted in the NHL. They need it to continue to develop and become the best hockey player that they can be. Most players are not going to jeopardize that, which which says a lot about the fact that the, that the Omaha Lancers players decided to boycott and... Um, you know, basically put their put themselves on the line a little bit to say, hey, we don't think what's happening here is right and we're not going to play until it's fixed. And that forced the USHL to step in. And then, you know, now we've got all sorts of other things that are that are happening around that. The hope is, is that, you know, as all this is going on on Sunday, the USHL had the Lancers resume operations under Josh Mervis. Gary Graham, the head coach who was who was hired um, even though Cassidy was never, you know, apparently never fired. And they said that he stepped down, um, Gary Graham steps in, become the head coach of the team. It sounds like they're going to practice and then play, um, next weekend. A lot remains to be seen on that front. Uh, it should be noted too, that Gary Graham, and, and again, this is, this speaks a little bit to the league's description of Josh Mervis as a non-active minority partner. Um, Gary Graham's most recent job he was in it this season was as the uh, a head coach with the Indy Junior Fuel. Uh, the son of Josh Mervis is on that the roster for that team. Um, so you know you just wonder you know, why are these things kind of all connecting way too easily? And I, I said to something somebody recently, is the hockey world really that small? And and it, it appears to be. Uh, it appears to be. Um, so we will see what happens with all of that. And, and you know, I, I mean, Gary Graham took a job. He was offered a job. He took a job. You know, I don't necessarily want to uh, besmirch him by by any means. Um, most people that have an opportunity to coach that level are going to take it. Um, but, you know, there, there certainly has to be questions with everything else that has happened, all the other things that we've learned about this situation. Um, there are a lot of other things that that I think that this has brought out, and and certainly as I've mentioned, you know, my concern is mainly for the players to make sure that that whatever happens in this investigation and that it's done appropriately, thoroughly, um, by all accounts. I've heard from multiple people who have participated in the investigation that have said they feel very confident in the person that is running that investigation. They feel that he is independent and also is is making. Um, you know, making making some headway and doing the work. And um, the person that is doing the investigation is an attorney, is involved with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, and, and there's a lot there that I think is, is, is positive. So things are going well in that regard. But make no mistake, what all has happened with the Omaha Lancers has been a black eye in the USHL. I think that there are people around junior hockey that are, are snickering 
um, over this. And, and But then there are also far more that are very upset that it got to this point, um, that the Omaha Lancers and, and the, the apparent budgetary problems that, that existed within the ownership group that, that caused them to cut corners that impacted, you know, essentially not allowing that franchise to live up to the tier one standards that you need to have. Um, you know, the US, USA Hockey and the, and the USHL are engaged in an agreement for the USHL to have a tier one status. And that, that requires, you know, them to have a professional coaching staff, to have, you know, a, a full-time coach and an assistant to have an equipment manager and athletic trainer at, at Omaha. They've, they've combined those roles, which is not unprecedented, but certainly it, it does not sit very well when you know that those are two of the most time-consuming jobs on any hockey staff. Um, you know, you, you there's there's also the, the playing in an arena that's up to standards, playing, you know, having uh, uniforms and equipment and everything else and, and, and having travel and meals and things of that nature that are up to tier one standards. And it seems like that, that, that Omaha has been falling short based on my reporting and and that from others. Um, and that's why I think the coaching staff was trying to stand up for the players. And that created a lot of tension and apparently led to the dismissal. And I should note that the Lancers are eight, four and two presently. That is a record that um, scouts that I've talked to have said is, is above expectations. Chad Cassidy, who, as I mentioned, I've had a connection with from our time at the national team development program, but I've also heard from a lot of people that I that you know are are in the coaching fraternity that have nothing but respect for Chad Cassidy. He was a, the head coach of the AHL's Rochester Americans, um, also was an assistant coach at the national team development program, and most recently was the head coach at Northwood School, which Coots De Caesar, the owner of the Omaha Lancers, his son actually played for Chad Cassidy, which is part of the connection that. Um, you know, he does, he, 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 the, his son has moved on from the Lancers and has moved on and, uh, and is currently playing college hockey in the division three level. But, you know, he, he had a positive experience with Cassidy and, uh, you know, from what I understand, that was a large part of, you know, part of the reason that, that Cassidy was such a strong candidate for this job. But it's also like, you know, he had other qualifications. So, you know, to, to have a, a winning record, to have, all the, the different qualifications to move your family from Lake Placid, make a commitment to the city of Omaha. Um, all of those are decisions that Cassidy made. And now, you know, all of those, the, the team has really uh, pushed this in a, in, in a different direction. Now the USHL has had to step in. So the hope is, is that the USHL will do, you know, the, the, and this investigation will be thorough. It'll be done appropriately, but it also has to be done kind of quickly because these players need to make sure that they're, they know what their future holds. They know who's going to be their coach. They know who's going to be owning the team. They know whether or not they're going to be able to be traded. As of right now, the roster is frozen. Um, and so the players cannot be moved there. So nobody's getting traded in or nobody's getting traded out. There's also, you know, it, it makes it hard to move to other leagues. So say if you're a player that wanted to move to the North American Hockey League, not a possibility right now. Um, you know, so there are other things that, uh, you know, that, that could, could certainly still come of this. But you hope that it gets done quickly. You hope that it gets done accurately and and really thoroughly uh, to make sure that the, that, the, that the best interest of the players is. One of the things I've been asked many times, and I wish I had an answer, but I, I, I really don't, is what is ultimately going to happen? Um, whether or not the investigation finds that the that the ownership and and the team president and you know who's at fault for what, um, and if there is going to be suspensions or if the league has to step in, 
you never really know. But I, there is kind of one um, situation that I've been likening this to, even though they are they are separate. There's not a lot of correlation, but the end result was similar. You might recall a few years back, Flint Firebirds players protested after their coach was fired very early into the season. Um, the the players essentially pulled a pulled a Rudy and just said, "Nope, we're done. We're not going to play for you." Uh, to the owner, and the OHL had to step in in that in that instance. They reinstated the coaching staff. They they suspended after the owner fired the coach again. The OHL stepped in <laughs> and said, "No, that's not going to happen." And they 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 issued fines. They they cost Flint draft picks. Um, and then also the league had to end up taking over operations of the entire thing. So it is not without precedent um, that, that you know, a league would take over a team. And that's kind of where we're at right now, but not really because the USHL has not, you know, essentially assumed control um, and is making all the decisions for the Omaha Lancers. It's just the fact that, that the investigation is ongoing and nothing will happen. Um so it's very difficult to say what will happen in this particular instance, but it is something um, that everybody's watching. And you know, some other people have asked where USA Hockey is in this. Um, you know, I think USA Hockey has, has said uh, repeatedly that they would like the USHL to be able to conduct their own investigation. Um, you know, they've got the third party uh, involved that is somebody that is in the U.S. Center for Safe Sport within the USA Hockey system. So you'd have to assume that there's a lot of uh, a potential interaction there, and and there could be some advice and things you know given along. But but I've I've been told that USA Hockey essentially um, is monitoring it; they're aware of it, um, but they are not going to formally step in and allow the USHL to handle its own business. Even though USHL is under the USA Hockey umbrella, I I do think that if there if it was necessary, if if the if USA Hockey felt that things went a certain way. I do believe they could step in and 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 take over in some regard, but that it's really difficult to get to the that because there are so many moving parts to a situation like this. You've got an owner, you know, you, you know, can you legally force them to sell? All these different things that you have to kind of run through. Um, but in the end, as I as I've, I keep bringing it back, the players are the ones that are caught in the middle, and. Um, that's why I just don't think you can mess around with this stuff. When you're talking about teenagers that have, you know, their whole careers, their whole lives ahead of them, um, you know, that that the junior hockey years are, are integral to their growth as a person and a player, um, you have to do right by them. In, in the always have to put the players first. They have to be the priority, and they have to be the ones that. And I think a lot of owners within junior hockey um, feel that way, and, and I think if you know. I don't know Coots to Caesar, but I, I mean, hey, there's there's a chance that he's that way as well. But this has been a really difficult time. It's and that's the other thing. Running a junior hockey team is a difficult business. It's hard to make money at. Um, it's also you know can be really time consuming and challenging and 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 all those things. So that's something I don't want to discount. I think the issue is is though if you can't do it up to the standard that you agreed to do it at, then you can't own the team. You know, you have to move on. You have to sell. You have to cut bait, um, because the only way this works, the only way this whole system works, is if you abide by that. And I've heard from a lot of sources too that that have been very frustrated with the USHL in terms of enforcement of Tier One standards. And and you know, you, 
they've said, you know, if you let enough things slip, if you let enough things go by, or if you don't enforce things, then things like this will happen and then they blow up in your face. And that's essentially what the USHL is dealing with right now. You know, I think there are a lot of good people in the league. There are a lot of good people in the league office. I think that everybody means well, but this is just an issue that is really challenging and tricky. Um, and don't don't forget the the NHL is going to be watching this as well because junior hockey is mission critical to the NHL. It is why they offer grants to to the leagues and to the governing bodies. It's why that they are they are often involved in 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 a lot of different things between junior and college hockey. And you know the NHL fully understands that the landscape requires junior hockey, and and you want to make it stronger. So. Certainly, they're monitoring as well. There's not a lot of input or influence that they're going to have in this situation, but it's something that bears watching because the USHL has become a very significant feeder for the NHL um, in a number of ways. I mean, you just think of the guys. Just just take a look at the non-NTDP players in the NHL that have been you know major impact guys, and you're just seeing Cole Sillinger right now who played for the Sioux Falls Stampede. He's had one of the top rookies this year. You know, certainly had that dual WHL USHL background, but. You know, doing very well. Uh, Brock Besser, Max Pacioretty. You know, Besser played for the Waterloo Blackhawks. Pacioretty for the Sioux City Musketeers. So, um, you know, Ailey Tolvanen and 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 all of these other players that that have come through. And then you also have the NTDP guys like Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegers, Cole Caulfield. Um, you know, all of those guys that that have have been in the mix. So, I think that that's something else that that kind of you know the league definitely cares about what's happening. They're going to be watching. Um, again, I think it's more of a silent kind of observing from afar, but still it matters a lot and, and it just reminds you how important junior hockey is. And if it's not, you know, if, if, if situations like this come up where the players are either, you know, not put in the best situation to develop or, you know, even when there are times where the, there's a feeling where safety could be at risk, um, because of those budget cuts, like those are things that, that. I think you really can't mess around with. And, and as I say, as I said earlier, um, if you can't do it at the standard you're expected to do it at, then you can't do it. Um, and that's that's just how I feel about it. And, and I'm again, these things are not easy to report on. I don't enjoy doing it. Um, but it is something that I will continue to follow and continue to pursue and, and follow the facts where they go and report them as necessary. And I think that that is what I'll continue to do, both on Hockey Sense, uh, on Substack, and on DailyFaceOff.com. It just so happened that you know the way things worked out, I've I've had an opportunity to write about it for Daily Faceoff, and I really appreciate the the guidance and support that they've given me uh, to follow this as as closely as I've been able to. And I think you know a lot of people have said, you know, who cares about junior hockey? Who cares about what you're, you know. Um, you know, these aren't the things that didn't necessarily get clicks, but I, I think these are the stories that are necessary to tell because without junior hockey, the NHL is in big trouble. The game of hockey as a whole is in big trouble. Um, and so for it to remain strong and for it to run properly is really important to the future of the game. So that's why I think that it's important to do it. And, and again, it's, it's, it's about making sure that the players are treated properly in a situation where they're, you know, they don't necessarily get a lot of say. All right, we're going to move on a little bit as well. And, you know, the Olympics are coming up again on dailyfaceoff.com. I have my most recent um, Olympic projection 
Uh, and two of the guys I just mentioned, Max Pacioretty and Brock Besser have switched places. Max Pacioretty on the roster, Brock Besser off. Um, it's been a tough year in Vancouver. I'm going to be watching that repeatedly. And I don't make the, I don't pick the team. But I think there are some things that are very interesting to watch. And the one thing that I want to talk about about the, the U.S. Olympic team is um, the forward group. And how, how do you build that forward group? Because you've got a lot of very similar players in terms of similar skill sets, similar size, similar you know overall style of game. And I don't think you can have too many of the same thing. But if that thing is scoring, and if you have players that will help you continue to score, I do think that you can go a little heavier in that regard. But you think about it, you know, a lot of guys that, you know, are are, are at six feet, six one or below, you know, you're like, you know, Kyle Connor is one of the top scorers in the league this year. Uh, Alex DeBrinkett has looked phenomenal for the Blackhawks in, in, a, in a very tough situation. Um, you've got Jake Gensel, who kind of held things together for the Penguins offensively while Sidney Crosby and, and others were out. Um, he has a really good opportunity. Also, Mike Sullivan is his head coach, and, and he's seen him perform at the highest level. Um, so, you know, you, you think about guys like that, Johnny Goudreau, of course, Patrick Kane. Um, so you, you just start thinking, can they have all those types of players? And as you'll find on my list, yeah, you're going to – that you can. Um, we also don't know the status of Jack Eichel at this point, and and I I have been operating all along as if Jack Campbell or Jack sorry Jack Eichel is not going to be part of the Olympic team, um, but that is certainly it's at least a, a slight slim possibility that he could be, and if he is outstanding, I'll be ecstatic. I'm sure you will as well to see one of the league's top young players go in there, but I just don't think it's going to happen based on the timeline, based on the commitment that the Vegas Golden Knights have made. And also, you know, I'm sure that they will be advising him to stick around and, and just to continue to rehab and be ready for when the Olympic break is over. And I do think that's probably in Jack Eichel's best long-term interest as much as I'd like to see him in the Olympics. But, you know, I think the decor is really, really solid and really set. You know, they named Seth Jones as the top guy. And I think, you know, if you were to rank him down the depth chart, Seth might be a little bit towards the back, but I still think he's very much a, a player that, that that can be on this team and belongs on this team. Uh, but then you start thinking about, okay, well, what's going to happen? You've got Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, John Carlson, all, all these offensive-minded defensemen. But then you've also got these just gifted two-way guys like Charlie McAvoy and Ryan McDonough and Jacob Slavin. Um, you know, and, and so you just kind of wonder how, is there a room for everybody? And I, you know, one of the guys I've really struggled with in trying to get him on there, uh, on the roster is Brett Pesci from the Carolina hurricanes. And I think he's, he's such an elite penalty killer and defensive defenseman that there may be a spot for him, but then it's like, you know, do you take out Quinn Hughes? Do you take out Ryan McDonough? Do you take out, um, John Carlson, you know, Pesci's a right shot defenseman. So, you know, and I do have four right, four left. And again, you can read all of this on just search for version two of Team USA on dailyfaceoff.com. But those are, are some of the things. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was the number three goalie spot for USA. And it seems like it doesn't matter, but you never know in these short tournaments, and especially in the COVID era, you need to be well stocked. Going into the season, I felt pretty strongly that Thatcher Demko was going to be the number three and it was going to be really difficult to unseat him. As the season has progressed, and obviously with the Canucks' struggles being what they are, 
I have moved and and have really started to feel like Jack Campbell uh, is angling for a spot. And if you know Jack Campbell's history, you know that when he put on a USA jersey, he was practically Superman except for one tournament. And you know he he won multiple gold medals, three gold medals uh, in his first three double IHF tournaments. Um, and then, you know, also has a bronze and then his last year didn't go as well. He's a three-time participant. And then he also was a two-time participant at the, the under 18 world championship. He's also played for the men's world. So um, it's very interesting, very interesting, the, the, a decision there. But I think one of the things that might actually set Jack Campbell apart, and I wrote this in daily Faceoff, is there's a lot of value in being a good teammate when you're not playing. Um, and as everyone knows, Jack Campbell is one of the world's nicest human beings. You probably saw it on the Amazon show or you've heard enough people say it. Um, I got to work with Jack at the National Team Development Program back in the day, and he was then what he is now, just kind of like this giant puppy dog who just happens to stop the pucks. And, and what a great career turnaround. The fact that we're talking about Jack Campbell for this team, a team that I think many of us thought maybe way back when he was a prospect that he would be starting on, and maybe have have already started in another Olympics by this point. Um, it's been great to see him rebuild his career, become a, a number one goalie. I mean, right now he is a legitimate number one goalie in the National Hockey League, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's on a contending team. It's remarkable to watch. And, and so maybe it is Jack Campbell who will take that third goalie spot. All right, as I mentioned, we had a lot of questions. Um, not so many where it's overwhelming and it's like, oh boy, I don't know if I want to, you know that, but they're, they're so wide ranging. Um, and I thought that we should get to them and, and there's, there's stuff about the NHL draft world juniors, um, prospects in Europe, uh, what I'm thankful for in hockey. Thank you, Dan McHugh for that, uh, beautiful question to ponder in this festive season and, and feeling, uh, feeling very good. Um, but I got some other things too that I will share with you and I didn't organize them nearly well enough. So this could go all over the place, but I'm going to try and just answer them in the order that I received them on Twitter on Tuesday. This first one comes from my good pal, Lucas Pincari, um, out in Western Canada. And Lucas asks, Tucker Robertson leads the OHL in scoring and is a re-entry. Obviously no games last year as last year makes that league pretty interesting in terms of the 2022 draft, but where does he fit in as a prospect? Really good question from Lucas. And I actually wrote a little bit about Tucker Robertson um, on hockey sense with Chris Peters. And once again, as always, please, uh, if you would like to subscribe to hockey sense with Chris Peters on Substack, in addition to the, what you can read for free at dailyfaceoff.com. But Tucker Robertson's a really interesting case as, as Lucas mentioned 17 games played, 34 points as I record this, um, leading the league in that category um, for Peterborough. And, you know, the the last game that he played before I recorded this, he had six points in the game. So just an absolutely ridiculous run that he's on right now. Robertson was, you know, didn't play last year, you know, didn't go to Europe, didn't have any of those opportunities. He did play in that end of season event in Erie and actually played really well there. Um, you know, he produced and he, and he, you know, I think he turned some heads there, but no one was going to really get drafted off of that event alone. And so I would say that, you know, 
Robertson has absolutely put himself in the in the conversation to be drafted as a re-entry. I think that it's a, a no-doubter at this point. When you have that level of production, teams are going to look at you. you know, he's, he's average size, 5'10", 190, you know, right shot. You know, he's got a lot of, of, of different tools in the toolkit, but you know, he's scoring 15 goals in 17 games so far. You know, and that's that's a pretty remarkable figure. And so, you know, he's a guy that I will continue to dive dive in on more as things progress. But I think you're gonna see quite a few re-entries kind of enter the fold as guys that you know were passed over for one reason or another last year. Maybe they just didn't get enough views. Um, and they're going to have an opportunity to get picked this year. And I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why the NHL didn't want to move the draft back is to give these guys an opportunity, you know, as re-entries to have that full season. So I think that Tucker Robertson himself, again, of the Peterborough Peets, has an excellent opportunity. You know, his, his rookie year, he had 18 points in 55 games. He has 34 points in 17 games right now in what is officially his second full season in the league after the league was shut down last season. But a great question from Lucas and a great prospect to keep an eye on, just like you should keep an eye on all of those uh, interesting re-entries that could be coming our way. This next one comes from Mr. Nice Guy, a.k.a. at Briggs286. Um, this is not a shocker based on that name. Any thoughts on how Matthew Nice has looked? So Matt Nice is a... Um, is a freshman forward, freshman left winger at the University of Minnesota. He has been outstanding this year. I did have a chance to see him live. Um, I saw him first really pop at the, I've seen him live in the USHL, but also seen him live in uh, at the World Junior uh, Summer Showcase this year, where I thought he was one of the best players throughout the entire event. He's come into the, the University of Minnesota, and he's been a point-per-game player. 14 points in 14 games for the Gophers. They use him in the top six. He's on their power play. He's often in the middle of everything offensively. And this is a guy that is a massive human. Six foot three, 205 pounds. You know, he's 19 years old, and this is a guy out of Phoenix. He's got Slovakian heritage as well, uh, but he will be representing the United States internationally. Um, as an American, and you know that's typically how it works. Um, but you know, I think that he is such a, a remarkable player. And last year, I don't think that I understood his skill set well enough um, because I think for such a big man and for a guy that can play with a little bit of physicality, you know, he has very good touch on the puck, and his release is outstanding. He can score goals from you know five feet out or two feet out, and he can score from distance. Um, you know, he's got power moves to the middle. He ha he can lower that shoulder, and he's really difficult to get off the puck. I think his feet are fine. You know, like his skating, he's not going to blow you away in terms of speed, but I think that his footwork and and his ability to to create with his feet um, are, are are just fine. So, you know, he's he's a guy that I think that the Maple Leafs got a real bargain for at 57th overall. I really like the the whole package that he has um, and and just what he has done so far with the Tri-City Storm with the Tri-City Storm last year and then with the University of Minnesota this year, just seeing how he's fit into a veteran team that that had so many guys that that have, you know, have great skill and to be a top 6 forward as a freshman right off the hop. Um, really impressed with what he's done. And I think that he is kind of trending in that, you know, if I were to redraft, I'd, I'd certainly consider him. In the first round, he wasn't that far off of the first round in my my previous rankings. 
All right, this next one comes from at MVP96, who is a frequent questioner, and I love the questions. They're often Red, Wing, Red Wings related, but he asked a question about one of my all-time favorite players from uh, since I've been doing this, just because he is so unique, and this is all about Elmer Soderblom. And uh, it says, Chris, we got to talk about Soderblom. The guy is ripping up the SHL right now. What do you think his, what do you see his ceiling being? So Elmer Soderblom is a six foot eight forward. So he's a six foot eight forward with hands. That's the thing that really struck me the first time I saw him at the World Under 18 Championship playing for Sweden uh, back in 2019. And then this is, you know, playing against Jack Hughes and all those guys. And he only had one goal in the whole tournament, but you kept watching him and the plays that he was making, you see the little soft touch plays on the puck for a man his size. The following season, he went to the U-20 level, 55 points in 26 games. They actually got into 10 games with Ferlunda at the SHL level. Last season, four games at the U-20 level, 28 at the SHL level, was a member of the U-20 team at the World Juniors, and actually played pretty well in that tournament as well. This year, he already has 12 points in 21 games, nine goals in there. Also in Champions League play, he has four goals and one assist in just seven games. So what we're seeing is, is a player that I think is fully understanding how to put it all together. So he's already got, you know, he had that gold medal with the Swedish team in, in 2019. Phenomenal event. And, and he was a depth player for that team. Now he's six foot eight, 238 pounds, according to his elite prospects bio. Now this is a guy that was taken 159th overall in that 2019 draft. And I think that you always want to, if you're going to make bets and you're going to make bets on size, try to find guys that are going to have that little extra bit of upside. And I think that's what Elmer Soderblom has. Um, I think for, for as far as his ceiling, I think it's, you know, bottom six scoring depth guy. I don't think he has the breakaway speed or anything like that. That's going to allow him to be a top level contributor, but he has this unique physical package with that added bonus of having the hands with it. Um, and as I've watched him this year in the games that I've seen, because Ferlunda is, is, a, is a team of great intrigue every year, um, watching what he's been able to accomplish as a goal scorer, as a guy who dominates the net front, as a guy who can score off the rush, who can even make some plays from distance, you know, those are the types of things that I really like to see. So he has progressed in a way much more rapid than I expected him to. I fully believe that he will get his contract um, at the end of this season from the Red Wings, I think he's he, he's earned it. Um, and you have to see what you've got in that package. Um, you know, how many six foot eight guys with hands exist? N not many. So you definitely want to keep an eye on him. Elmer Soderblom, uh, who I think is really swell. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from at NHL to Seattle. Of the current University of Michigan players, who do you anticipate signing their, with their NHL club at the end of the season? Quite a few. Uh, quite a few, my good friend John there. Um, obviously, I think the one that you're most curious about is is Matty Beneers. I do believe Matty Beneers will sign as soon as Michigan's season is over. I think that he is playing at a level that suggests that he's close to NHL ready. Um, you know, I think that if you give him an opportunity to finish out the season, try to compete for a championship, you know, if they do win it, um, you know, you may not be able to get him into your lineup late in the season, but you know you're going to have him for next year. 
I, I do think that that's going to happen. Uh, fully expect Owen Power to sign with Buffalo. Fully expect um, Kent Johnson to sign with the Columbus Blue Jackets. All of those guys have been performing at a super high level this year. You know, the ones that I'm less certain about uh, include Brendan Brisson. I think that he is he's taken a huge step this year to being a dominant scoring forward. I think there's another step for him to get to, and I'd be very interested to see how he does with another year of school, getting stronger and bigger. But he has really taken a step. I think Thomas Bordalo is probably another one of those guys where it can go either way. He's you know doesn't have size on his side, but he's as skilled as you'll find. One of the great playmakers in college hockey. Um, fully expect him to to at least you know be in the mix to sign a contract um, at the end of this season. I think Johnny Beecher, who has been there for three years, who's dealt with injuries, who has recovered from those injuries and has returned and played well, um, I believe he'll sign as well. Um, soon he's a first round draft pick of the Boston Bruins. So you know, you're starting to run out of players here, um, you know, and it's really difficult. But I think you know other guys like Eric Portillo. It's only his first year as a full time starter. I think he should probably stick around, though. I'm sure there'll be interest from Buffalo to sign him. Um, geez, I'm gonna have to pull up the roster now just to just to get a look at it because I mean, you you, you know, we're talking about we're listing off all these guys, and I'm like, I know I'm gonna be forgetting somebody here. Um, in the in this one, so you know, as I as I get the 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 stats up here, you know, I think we've covered the main ones. I do think that Luke Hughes, he has said before that his his initial idea was that he would play two years at the University of Michigan. He's probably ahead of where I thought he would be in terms of his production and how he's looked at uh, at at the college level. He's got six goals in fourteen games so far. Um, pretty good for uh, a young, true freshman, one of the youngest players in college hockey, um, and you know, 0.93 points per game. I still think that the things that he needs to do next year, when Owen Power is gone, he it'll be his team. He'll have an opportunity. I think you want that. If you're the Devils, you want him in that situation. Um, you know, but I think beyond that, those are the players that that'll sign. I think most of the others will stick around. You know, that 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 have had that opportunity. Already this season, I think there's a lot of um, talent there. But we talked about Kent Johnson, Owen Power, Matty Beneers, Thomas Bortolo. Um, those are the guys that I'd say are probably the most likely to go. Brendan Brisson being next in line as a potential guy that could sign. He's got nine goals already this season. Uh, but I think, you know, just to, to bring it back to Matty Beneers and NHL to Seattle, um, Beneers 10 goals in 14 games so far. He was out on an absolute tear. You know, the top, you know, top guys on this team are averaging – over 1.2 points per game. Beneers has 1.21. Power has 1.43. Johnson has 1.5. I mean, it's it it is an embarrassment of riches. And if you've seen their their recent recruiting class with all the players that signed national letters of intent, they're gonna have a lot more where that came from, including next year having a guy on the roster that'll be playing in his draft season, uh, similar to what Owen Power did last season, and that'll be Adam Fantilli, who is absolutely sensational and having a great year in the USHL. All right, let's see where our next question goes. And I, I, I'm going to skip that last one from Dan that I mentioned earlier because I want to save that for last. So, Dan, we'll get to your what are you thankful for. But this one comes from uh, Christoph Alder. Looking at early draft coverage, it seems to me that uh, Isaac Howard gets less attention than his peers, Cooley, Nazar, and maybe even McGordy. He's usually ranked pretty high on draft lists but doesn't seem to be talked about as much. Any idea why that might be the case if you agree? I think that's true. I've talked about him quite a bit on this podcast, actually. Um, you know, and, and he's been a guy that I've mentioned as as one of my personal 
uh, favorites this year. I think that he is remains um, a player that you know, I, I don't want to say that he, he's he's hard to get a read on because I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that the skills are there, the speed, you know, the skating. I think that, that that's all quality. Um, the creativity, I like I like what I've seen from Ike Howard there. You know, I think when it comes to how they've played so far this season, he's right in line with those top guys. Um, you know, I, I think eight goals, 12 assists, 20 points in 18 games. Um, you know, tied for the tied for the team lead because you've got Logan Cooley who's got 20 and 15, Frank Nazar who's got 20 and uh, 18, and then you know Rucker McGrady has 18 and 12 because he was injured for a period of time, came back and had an absolutely massive Five Nations tournament. You know, I think that that's it's it's easy to get lost in the mix, and, and at the national team development program. You know, I think that we've seen that happen in years past. It's happened to Matt Boldy, where you know, it's you got you got Hughes, you got Caulfield, you got Zegris, you got Knight. Well, Matt Boldy is is an exceptional player, and even though he, you know, he, he went ahead of some of those guys, and he went ahead of Caulfield and and, and Knight, I believe, um, in in the, in the order there. And you know, I think teams are going to find those players. So I, I would say that Howard doesn't quite get as as much attention. But he's really been one of the guys in this age group that has been pretty well regarded for years. So I think it's just a matter of him continuing on that trajectory. And one thing I didn't mention, um, he also leads the the U18 team in goals at 66. So you know, only eight goals on 66 shots, and, and I think that that's something that um, we'll see change. I think you know he's going to get some get some more into the net here. Uh, very soon, but I, I just like the way that he makes plays. I think he's got good speed and good creativity. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to do when he moves on to the University of Minnesota Duluth next season. All right, Band Candy Seven asked updated U.S. World Junior Camp predictions. Well, I don't have a ton for you. I did write about that on uh, Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. I've continually looked at that, different stock watch things. Um, also highlighted some players that I thought were, were getting into the mix. Um, you know, I think one of the guys that is now in the mix, I think at the goaltending department is Dylan Silverstein. Um, he is a, he's playing for the U18 team. He actually got hurt right before the five nations tournament wasn't able to go. They ended, ended up having to have an emergency backup, but he's played well enough this year to at least garner some consideration for the world junior team, especially given the weakness of the goaltending pool. Drew Camesso, the, the the odds on favorites to start, hasn't had that great of a season either. So you're looking at guys, you know, where, where do you find the right person to be in the mix there? Um, and I'm still not sure that that I have two goalies that I could say are I'm pretty confident in behind Drew Camesso. But getting back to some other World Junior Camp predictions, um, you know, I think that a lot of the guys that, that we've talked about a lot um, are, are going to be there. I think that, you know, really some of the bubble players are, are guys that have been hurt like Luke Tuck and, and he's just getting back into the mix here. I think it's gonna be tough for him to make a case for himself to be on the roster, but there's a lot of different players in this, in this mix that, um, could certainly fight their way through. But I think that, you know, one of the big questions that I also have about that, is you know players that didn't necessarily have a strong summer camp. How much is that going to hurt them, and how much more weight is going to be put on what they're doing this season? 
And Sasha Pasajov is one of the more obvious people to, to, to zone in on one of the leading scorers in the Ontario Hockey League. He's absolutely dominated at that level. That's not necessarily a surprise because he was very productive last season as well. Um, does he fit into this group? Is there a place for him? Um, doesn't have great skating ability. I think that U.S. teams, especially when you're going in up against Canada, and Canada is going to be loaded in this thing. Mason McTavish back, um, you know, uh, Jake Neighbors back into the mix. You know, you NHL players are being sent back, and it gives those, you know, it only makes Canada stronger. So you got to think about how do you compete with that. And I think the U.S. can compete on the speed and skill front, but you know, if you're looking for a scorer. Sasha Pasajov has proven time and time again that he can score. All right. This next question comes from Leo B. And Leo always, I always know when Leo's coming because I see that Kings logo and I know it's going to be about the Kings. And I like this question. He's giving me a lot of different directions to go with this. Any interesting updates on Kings prospects? The three guys in the OHL perhaps are guys like uh, Brock Faber, Andre Lee in college, maybe the top prospects they have with the Ontario Reign. Well, I'm going to go to college, but I'm not going to talk about Brock Faber, who I think is an exceptional player at, at the college level. I'm not going to talk about Andre Lee either, who is having a great season um, this year to start. I'm actually going to go to Harvard and Alex Laferriere. And Harvard has one of the more potent offensive teams in the country. They currently have... One, two, three, four, five, six players that are above a point per game, including Alex Laferriere. Now, this is a third-round draft pick from the 2020 draft. It is not the number one overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere. This is Alex Laferriere. He is a sophomore. Uh, by Essentially, he's a sophomore in hockey terms. This is, well, he's, he's a ba- basically a freshman to me, because this is his first year of college hockey, he had to spend an extra year. Uh, of course, there was no hockey for um, Harvard last season, um, but he he played for the Des Moines Buccaneers. Comes back and now he's in college, and he is off to a very strong start uh, into his first year of college hockey. He has ten points in, in eight games, one uh, seven seven total goals, four of which came in one game this year against Colgate. Um, in his most recent game on Tuesday night, he had two goals and an assist. Um, so he has really kind of popped up. But Harvard as a whole is a really good team. They've got a lot of quality players throughout. Nick Abrazizi, for, uh, Maple Leafs pick, Sean Farrell, Canadians pick, uh, Matthew Coronado, first rounder from last year, Henry Theron, who uh, was on the World Junior team last year and, and is really tearing it up offensively. This season, um, very interesting team. But I think like Alex Laferriere is a guy that that you should keep an eye on because he, he had a very good USHL career. He is currently scoring at that high rate. He's got decent, you know, size and strength. It's not, you know, over the top, but he can, you know, he gets the job done. Um, and, and I think, you know, based on his entire body of work at the USHL level, um, you know, going into this, He's really put to get been very very impressive. I mean, two seasons with the Des Moines Buccaneers, forty five points uh, in the first season, fifty in the next. He did also play 12, uh, 12 games with the Bucks in his last year of prep school, where he was an absolutely dominant player at Kent School. 
Um, and so I think he's a very interesting guy that I think I'm going to keep a, a very close eye on. He was one of the lucky ones that was able to go back to junior last year, get more time, and now he's arriving over-ripened into college. So I think that's a name to keep an eye on, but certainly the others that you mentioned, Brock Faber, Andre Lee, the Ontario Reign as a whole, um, you know, all worth keeping an eye on. So Leo, thank you for your question. Uh, this next one comes from Sue Light. What's your preview for the ND Minnesota weekend series? Uh, my preview, pain. Dramatic pause ended. Uh, pain, I'm not sure for who though, because this is one of the most passionate rivalries there is. It is, you know, it's no longer a conference series, which does take a little bit of the shine off of it. But when you've got Minnesota on one end, North Dakota on the other, two of the elite powers in the upper Midwest all time it is must see for college hockey fans i think what a great treat it is to have those two teams squaring off against each other and they come into this a little bit you know i think minnesota has been disappointing this year eight six and oh i think that they're a better team than that uh, i think they you know i i've seen them play live and i i think that they have such a brilliant roster. They have not gotten the goaltending this season that that uh, that will allow them to to win games consistently. But now they got to go on the road to North Dakota playing a non-conference game right in the middle here. They're going to go there and then they have to turn around and then go to Ann Arbor the following week. So it is a meat grinder of these right around this Thanksgiving time for Minnesota. I think that they've got as good a chance as any team to win North Dakota, however, excuse me, has been very interesting to me last weekend. They ended up splitting with Minnesota Duluth and they split without Jake Sanderson in the lineup. And I think Jake Sanderson has been one of the best players in college hockey this year, but they, they split without him in the lineup. And you know, that, that Minnesota Duluth team is very good, but I think this North Dakota team has has done some some really impressive things. Sanderson is actually the leading scorer on the team right now with 15 points in 11 games. As I mentioned, missed the last two games with illness. Then you've got a transfer in Ashton Calder, 14 points in 13 games. Uh, Connor Ford, another transfer. You know, so you're getting players that are are making contributions that have a lot of experience. And then Zach Driscoll, another transfer, um, has ha has been adequate. In that he hasn't been great, hasn't been bad, nine and four record. But these are two teams that I think have been a little bit inconsistent to start the season. I think there's a lot that that they still have to learn about each other, and this is a great opportunity to do that. Um, I think it's you know in terms of the rivalry, in terms of what it means for the pairwise, what it means for you know national championship hopes. Um, you could cross all that off because what matters is is it's North Dakota, Minnesota in what is one of the great rivalries and it's at the Ralph and it's in a place where, you know, you know, the building is going to be absolutely bustling with energy. So if you have an opportunity, uh, to, uh, to watch that game and I am afraid, I don't know. I, I think that it'll be available regionally on Midco sports, uh, as so many are, but, um, uh, for, for the, for the fighting Hawks, but I mean, you know, find, find a place to watch it. If you can, because I, I do think that there is bound to be some fireworks. I, I think Minnesota has all the tools that they to to beat 
North Dakota, but I also think North Dakota has been playing better hockey overall throughout the season. And if Jake Sanderson's back in the lineup, that changes the whole dynamic of that team. So stay tuned for that one. Should be an absolute blast. I hope that you enjoy it because I got to tell you, it is going to be awesome. All right. The last question, and this comes from Dan McHugh. Dan, thank you so much. What's one hockey thing you're thankful for? Well, I'm going to cheat because I, there are many things. And it's been a tough week. I haven't, you know, it's it's been hard certainly doing some of the reporting that I've had to do. Um, as I mentioned, I don't love it, but I'm going to do it if I have to. Um, and But the thing that I'm really thankful for hockey-wise right now is is – is truly, and I mean this in all sincerity, anyone um, that has kept me afloat this year, and it's this, this is a selfish, th- thankful thing, but um, you know, I think back to losing my job. It was a year ago uh, where I was informed that I wouldn't be brought back at ESPN. You know, I was under contract till February. I stayed on, did the work, um, and and felt really lost and felt really uncertain. Um, as that whole process was playing out from November to February, it's like, what's next? Um, start the website, the, the hockey sense website and have the opportunity to to do that. And, and what made that the only thing that made that worth it was that everyone that, that signed up, that bought a subscription, that sent words of encouragement that, you know, gave me a lot of love just, you know, just by showing support by just saying, Hey, See what you're doing. I like what you're doing. Didn't have to buy a subscription, but they they you know that 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 helped a lot too. If you've listened to this podcast, I'm thankful for you as well because I think you know I always wonder why do people uh, think I'm worth listening to. Uh, I think everybody thinks that. I think the one the, the thing about writers is writers have egos, but they also have uh, pretty low self esteem at times. But you guys have really lifted me up, and, and by by your support by Offering you know kind reviews and 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 ratings and and but but more importantly just giving me your time and and I hope that you've enjoyed you know spending time with me as well uh, in this podcast because it's a great way to connect and I and I do enjoy it I'm I'm a bit of a talker and uh, uh, but I do really like that connection that we can have and I hope that if, if you're listening to this on your drive to to or from Thanksgiving that. Uh, um, you know that that you understand that that I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for you for doing that. Um, but I, I I can't just be all sentimental about this. I I think about other things that I'm thankful for. Um, you know I'm thankful for uh, just the fact that the the season is back. That 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 we've got junior hockey throughout North America. That leagues are have been able to get through this um, with minimal significant issues obviously the nhl has had a few i'm thankful that it's an olympic year i think that i i really hope that we get to a point where we we make sure that every all, all the nhl players are going um that the women's tournament is it can be as as great as i think it can be um especially with the the rivalry between the u.s and the and canada you know and in the paralympics as well hoping that that goes great as the u.s uh, continues to look for for more and more success there um, you know, I think that the Olympics really do give us an opportunity to, to celebrate the game at a level that's not, not common. And yes, we're going to have to get up in the middle of the night and watch games. And I promise you I'll be up watching them, but there's just so many things that we, 
uh, can enjoy when that comes. And, and yes, there's a lot of that jingoistic nationalism and all that other stuff where people get flag waving. I've been guilty of that myself. Uh, but I will say that, um, you know, if you, as long as you keep it all in good fun and you don't take yourself too seriously, don't take the games too seriously because it is just a game, um, you will enjoy it and, and that, that, that we'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, geez, I mean, I'm thankful for this insane new crop of players that just continues to replenish itself. You look at the NHL and you see Connor McDavid just absolutely lighting it up, but then you look to the 2023 draft and you see Connor Bedard and you see Matt Vamichkov and you're like, there's going to be more like mutant freak hockey players that are just amazing. Um, you know, Mitchkov is is scoring at a at a in a sensational clip. He had a five goal game over the weekend. Um, you know, I mean, Bedard is is not produced necessarily at this level at the WHL level like we thought he could this year, but he's still got a lot of runway and has so many tools in his toolbox that he's going to 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 grow into. You know, I think about other guys. Obviously, we got Shane Wright this year, and but there are plenty more. And um, so, you know, I'm really thankful that we have some of the greatest young players that we could ever ask for, and there are more coming. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty great time to be a fan of skilled, uh, you know, beautifully played hockey because that's what this next crop is all about. Um, and uh, yeah, and if I, I'd, I'd also be thankful for. If you could subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack, it's six dollars a month, uh, fifty-four dollars annually. That does help support this podcast. I'd also be thankful if you subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and a kind review, um, and just you know continuing to support this. I know that it's been difficult. Also, please support the work over at DailyFaceOff.com. You can also find my my betting coverage at Betway.com. Um, there are just so many people. I mean, I'm thankful for the the people, the teams that I've got. Uh, you know, certainly landing with Daily Faceoff, um, continuing to do my own thing, working with the Iowa Heartlanders and the ECHL this year has been an absolute thrill for me and a blast to to be doing broadcasting. So there's a lot. There's a lot to be thankful for, and even when things are difficult, and I know that you know we, with COVID, with with so many things going on in this world right now, it's really hard sometimes to see the good. It's hard to cut through, um, you know, the sadness and, and, and other things that, that do come up. Um, I deal with it all the time. And so I just want you all to know that, you know, uh, that I am so appreciative of your support. I'm so appreciative of you. And, and I thank you all for, for taking the time to listen to this podcast, to read what's being written, and to just, you know, saying saying stuff on Twitter just having chats on Twitter I mean that's that's great interaction as well and um, you know make sure to say hello if you ever see me out and about and make sure to uh, you know uh, drop me a line whenever you whenever you feel like it and and ask questions too so I have question and answer you know you guys help me kill about a half hour of time um, with with your questions so yeah that's the the secret sauce is that I need you to help me with the content so uh, if without that, I don't know what I do, but if you'll notice a pattern of, of the last few weeks, I've had a really hard time figuring out just how to end the podcast. So I think I've reached that point now where if I don't do it, I'm just going to keep talking and talking and you're not going to know when, when this thing is going to end or if it will end, but I promise you it's going to end now. If you are celebrating Thanksgiving, have a very happy Thanksgiving 
Enjoy the beginning of the holiday season as well. Don't kill anybody on Black Friday, please. Uh, you don't need that uh, that 57-inch, 56. I don't even know what the sizes are anymore. I haven't shopped for a TV in a little while. But uh, be kind to each other. Be good to each other. Um, and continue to support each other as we get through this uh, crazy, crazy time in our lives. But, uh, yeah, it, I don't know what else there is left to say because I'm just babbling at this point. But thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Episode 28 is in the books. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We will catch you next time. 